right, if you have your Bibles, you can take them and open them up to John chapter 8. We're not going to start there, but we'll get there pretty soon. Uh, so I'm going to, this is going to, it's been the last, this is like a three, three-part uh, series sermon I've been doing on the cross uh, the last three weeks, um, and suffering love, which is kind of heavy. I think some people can attest that's a heavy topic. Uh, the, the cross is not exactly... Um, comfortable, right? Um, but I, uh, you know, in our, in our core values, which I really like this, uh, our, our four, we have seven core values. The, the fourth one right in the middle is suffering love, which I think is so important that it's about really learning and embodying what does it mean to, to walk with Jesus, embody the suffering love of Christ. And then the fifth one right after is we're serious about joy. Um, and so there's really like this paradox even within the kingdom of God and even within Jesus himself and the presence of God. He's just a God who weeps, but he's also the God in whose presence is the fullness of joy. Amen. So uh, we actually are going to go into joy, I think, next week to kind of counterbalance, not counterbalance, but kind of stretch the other end of this paradox. But we are uh, finishing tonight on the third part of suffering love on the cross. I've been speaking out of Ephesians 2, which talks about that through the cross, uh, Jesus reconciled um, Jew and Gentile into one man. And so it's actually the cross is what created uh, family from what had become strangers, right? We were in the garden as family, brothers, sisters, sin enters, division, all this divisiveness, and pretty soon people that were brothers and sisters, all children of the same father, began to associate themselves with strangers, right? Then you have racism, division, strife, all this stuff, sin causes the cross came and then reversed it. So we're looking at the cross um, because we're talking about what does it mean to be a healthy family. So we're going to be a healthy family. We've got to embody this so that we can be made one through the cross. Amen? So uh, two weeks ago, I talked about compassion, that suffering love is, is, is made of compassion. Uh, last week, talked about hospitality and a, from a spiritual perspective of actually walking a journey of healing so that you can bring people into a space of the sacred journey of where Jesus has healed your broken heart and your wounds, then you have, you have stories, you have testimony, you have language, and you have the ability to actually be hospitable and let people come experience Jesus through you. And then this week, uh, I'm talking about mercy. And mercy, um, mercy is very closely tied to forgiveness. I'd say mercy is like the act the action of giving forgiveness. They're very tied, so I'll probably use those two words interchangeably tonight, mercy and forgiveness. Um, and this is exciting because I really believe that forgiveness is the greatest miracle. Uh, the forgiveness that Jesus wrought on the cross is the greatest miracle that we'll ever experience. It's the source, it's, it's like the door that opened up for all the grace of God to flow. He, uh, he made him sin who knew no sin so that through him we could become the righteousness of God. Like there's something about forgiveness that reconcile that, that it, reconciliation can't happen without it because we're in a world that is full of wrong, and forgiveness can come and powerfully uh, reconcile things. Amen. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna you know just just engage with me on this. This is this has been an emotional series for me to preach honestly because it's like man the cross you know you read how it talks about the stumbling block of the cross. We still stumble over it because it's not comfortable. It has not been comfortable wrestling with it, thinking about it, preaching on it. It's like, man, 
Crosses do one thing, they kill you. (laughs) So now I'm going to just kind of let it out on you, what he's been doing to me the last three weeks. But uh, no, it's good. I think this is going to be a powerful night for many of us. Uh, there's There's a book in the Bible that's probably one of the most emotional books in the entire canon of scripture, and that's the prophet of Hosea. Uh, and it's a story that is a very uncomfortable story, actually. Um, and it, the story is about a prophet named Hosea who God comes to and says, I want you to marry a prostitute named Gomer. Would not recommend that if you're looking for a girl's name. <laughs> Probably not the best gift you can give, but that's up to you, to each his own. So we got Hosea and Gomer, and I feel like that's kind of hard to relate to. Like, what does that mean? And so I'm going to try to modernize this and then unpack really what the Lord's speaking through this. This would be the equivalent of like a young Christian, I would say a young pastor that's single, but that kind of makes you think about me. (laughs) So another one at a church down the road. So I don't want to put myself into this place, all right? But you got this dude, he's single, and he's like a, you know, he's a Christian superstar. That's what the prophets were in the day, and I'm not saying that's what I am. I have no desire to be that. I don't even believe in Christian superstars, by the way. But you know how we, like, we we think of, like, right? Hosea is the man of God, right? Especially back in Israel, When there's a prophet or an anointed person, they were like the chosen ones, right? Now we are a royal priesthood. So I seriously mean that. I don't believe in Christian superstars. It's a priesthood of powerful sons and daughters of God. Seriously. But back in this day, this is pre-New Covenant. So you had these powerfully anointed men. So you have Hosea. You have a bright light in the community. Powerful man of God. And he falls in love with a a girl that maybe had a bad past. Right? And she got saved out of a bad past, maybe a lot of abuse, maybe a lot of just brokenness. The story happens time and time and time again. They fall in love. Right? And uh, somewhere down the road, uh, Gomer, uh, they have a few children, uh, and Gomer falls back into her past. Um, and this is, this is a public. You have to put yourself in the sh- shoes of Hosea here. Uh, he has this life. He has this wife now. And then she falls back, and it says she actually goes back in and starts selling herself back to men and engages in adultery, uh, which was publicly known because this is the prophet of Israel. Um, And this whole story is uh, meant to be a prophetic picture, like a window that we can peer through to recognize God's relationship with Israel, which if we really modernize it now, this is a picture of Jesus Christ and his love for his church, right? So we have this man of God and a faithless bride who sells herself and breaks his heart. And I mean, anybody that has walked even remotely close to, to someone that's you know, experienced adultery in an affair, they know that this is a very, very painful place, a very, very painful season. And God is using this picture to say, this is what's happening to my heart. You're abandoning me, you've walked, you've turned away, and you are committing acts that are devastating my heart, and he very much engages and enters, puts himself within this context, right? So it's a very emotional setting for this book. And the Lord begins to speak to the prophet, and I believe in chapter two um, of, this, of this book, speaks one of the most beautiful images there you see the heart of God that, that I think is contained in all of scripture. And this is what it says that God's gonna do in response to this adultery, in response 
to Gomer's to abandoning Hosea and going back to prostitution in response to a faithless bride committing acts that break the heart of God, the heart of Jesus. It says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Accor as a door of hope. And she will sing there, as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me husband and will no longer call me master. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth so that it will be mentioned by those names no more. And then it goes on in verse 12 and says, I will betroth you to me forever. Um, I'm going to key in specifically on the verse here in verse 15 where it says, I'll make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The valley of Achor is a reference back to when Israel and Joshua, they marched around Jericho, right, and the walls came down. And Joshua said, when we go, do not take anything from them, right? Anybody remember this story? He said, don't take anything from Jericho. Leave it all there. But there's this one guy uh, who takes it. I think his name is Dathan. I could be wrong there. It doesn't matter. He takes, uh, he steals some stuff. And uh, God, their next, God reveals it to Joshua, essentially. And Joshua finds out. And uh, because this man flagrantly committed sin, which is adultery against God, which is faithlessness, uh, he gets what the law very clearly set out, which is uh, the punishment of death. And they actually get this man, and they get all the, his family in a pit, basically, in a little valley, and they stone them. Because that was the recompense that Israel could be uh, back into righteousness. This is a brutal story. And it says they named that place the Valley of Achor. So the Valley of Achor is a place of punishment for sin. It's a place where the wages of sin that are death actually manifest. You following me? And yet God says, I'm going to allure her to the wilderness and make that place... A door of hope. <laughs> Anybody got the question ringing in their mind? How the heck do you do that? That's the sermon tonight. Uh, so if you're at John 8, we're going to read another moving story. And I'm going to read the whole, the whole passage of this scripture. Uh, verse uh, 1 through like 12, I think. Maybe 10. And then I'll unpack it. So, uh, actually, I'll probably start at verse 3. It says, the, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. So Jesus is sitting in a public square in Jerusalem. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman's been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. When they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among, him, among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone. And the woman, where she was, in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. That's the word of the Lord. Just tried to drink with the cap on. <laughs> There's a lot in this, and I kind of want to pack it down bit by bit. I find it extremely interesting that Jesus had a reputation for being merciful. The Pharisees don't like him at this point. They're trying to find grounds to kill him. So they bring a woman caught in sin and throw him at his feet, throw her at his feet, because they're testing him. Right? In other words, they're like, this guy, we know he's going to want to be merciful, but we're going to pin him to where he, you know, he has to judge and he has to punish here. So he has a reputation for being merciful, and they're trying to trap him and, and expose this unrighteousness in Jesus. Are you following me? So he had a reputation for being merciful. I think this is profound. And sometimes I think you've got to picture scriptures to really get the levity of what's happening here. Right? So Jesus is just sitting here. He probably has a few disciples, but maybe not. Uh, and he's sitting here, and then this whole angry crowd comes, right? And they stand this woman up right in front of Jesus, and she's exposed as it gets right now. And I believe sometimes in the grace of God, he will expose what is not working. He will expose. He, he'll, he'll reveal that there is... There is brokenness, right? God never exposes to shame, condemn, or to in any way degrade you. He exposes out of love. And we're going to see this. But this woman is exposed. Like this is as shameful as it gets. Are you with me? She's caught in the act, the very act, ripped out and stood before Jesus. And she knows she's guilty, right? And she is a good Jewish woman, so she knows the law. She knows that this is unrighteous. She knows everything. She knows it all, right? She's sitting before Jesus. She's got all these men, and they are putting pressure on him to judge her and to condemn her and to say, yeah, throw the stone, right? They think they've got him caught here. They're testing this reputation for mercy, right? And Jesus, in, as he only can do in his wisdom, speaks uh, this phrase, he who's without sin, he can throw the first stone, which is his way of saying, yes, I believe that God is just. Yes, sin, the wages of sin is death, right? He does not deny that, but at the same time, he doesn't give them permission to condemn her. Are you following me? That's just the wisdom. That's, the, that's wisdom. We need wisdom in the body of Christ. He answers with wisdom, and these men, right, all these men leaders, elders in the city of Jerusalem. These are powerful men. These aren't just some ruffians. These are distinguished people of society, right? They start dropping the stones one by one by one by one. And you have to imagine that this woman's trembling, right? Because she knows she deserves those stones. Right? She's a good Jew. She knows God's just. She knows what she did is wrong. She knows what the law clearly stated about doing the things that she did. But she's sitting there, probably trembling, 
And one by one, rather than the stones falling upon her, they fall upon the ground. But the one she's standing before is the only one without sin. And he who's without sin is the only one that could throw that first stone. So I'm sure the one she was most afraid about was, what is Jesus going to do? And instead of being demonstrative and harsh, he bends into the ground. And he has this father-daughter moment because he is everlasting father. And he looks at her and says, I don't condemn you either. Don't do it anymore, but go. And she, something happens here, right? There's a revelation of grace. That sounds real beautiful, right? It is, but it's incomplete. And if you're anything like me, I'm like a justice. That's my natural bent. Right, wrong, black and white, righteous. Says, well, what's wrong there? Something wrong here. That's not complete. Why? Why can you just do that? I thought the wages of sin were death. Are, Are you different? Is there a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament? Are you following me? Do you see where these questions start coming? But... What happened to, I thought righteousness and justice were the foundation of your throne. Are you, is Jesus like the nice side of God? And then there's this wrath side of God, right? You can start picking this all apart because it's just this, this just doesn't seem complete. How, how can you just let her go? What she did was wrong. All those things are true. Uh, it was wrong. Sin is wrong. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the Father heart of God. I do believe there's times we have to reorient and reinterpret what we know to be truth through Jesus Christ because he is the exact representation of his nature. That's Hebrews 1. So we have to start looking. But Jesus didn't come to, uh, he's not different than the Father. He is the Father. He's one with the Father. And so this is a powerful moment here where we're going to see the justice and the mercy of God collide and a revelation takes place. And I think we all need this revelation because Jesus stood there and he watched all the stones fall and he extends mercy, right? He extends forgiveness to this woman but he knew full well that though those stones didn't strike her they would be striking him in just a few months time as he would have to go in her stead right to that cross and take every single one he knew that those stones falling at her side meant nails in his in his 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 wrist in his ankles and thorns and fist and spit and slander and sin and he knew, he knew the cost right nobody builds a tower until they count the cost Jesus knew the cost right and in this moment he is actually uh, extending the mercy of what he was going to do right because he is actually the lamb slain before the foundation of the world So everything he did before the cross, he was just like giving the precursor. He was still ministering out of the atonement, out of the cross. Are you following me? So that woman didn't understand fully, but Jesus understood fully that I'm going to extend forgiveness even though it's going to cost me my life. Where am I going with this? Forgiveness... We will never understand forgiveness outside of the cross. Those things are linked. And last week I preached on hospitality, and I said that the cross 
was the greatest act of hospitality that there ever was. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that we wouldn't have to. He went to the cross so that when we got the courage to go ourselves, we wouldn't be alone. He had already gone before. So that when we get there, we don't find it empty waiting for us. We find that he's already been there. He's already walked this step. He can help us. He can encourage. He can nurture us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Not this life, not the next one. And we are called to carry our cross daily. Paul says, I day daily. Paul's yearning at some point saying, I, I pray that by any means possible, I can know you. To know you in your death and to know you in your resurrection. But he knew full well the cost of following Jesus, the cost of true discipleship means I have a cross with my name on it that I'm supposed to, I have to come to and I have to be killed and then resurrected, right? We, we're, we're disciples of Jesus. We're supposed to walk to be like him. He didn't go to the cross so we didn't have to. He didn't go to the cross so it wouldn't be hard for us in this life. There's, he promised us persecutions. There's kind of popular thinking sometimes. It's like Jesus, Jesus took it all on himself so that we could have all of the goodness. And that's true, but it's not complete. Like we, we don't know the goodness of God outside of the cross. We don't know forgiveness outside of the cross. We don't know his love outside of the cross. Right? We will never understand forgiveness outside of the cross. So what am I getting at here? There comes a day where every one of us have to choose. And I believe that there are, there, there's just, there are, there are like kairos moments in life. There, there, there are significant days. Like every day has significance. But there are defining days in life. When, and, and there's a day. It's, it's a day of, it's a crisis of the soul. It's a sanctif sanctification moment. It's a moment where we have to come and face the reality of sin in our life. It's a moment where God calls us to the valley of Accor, where we got to go and we have to pay, 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 pay dues to what we've done. We got to look square in the eye everything we've done. We're really good at running. We're really good at hiding. We can stuff it for a while. The guy with the idol who stole it from Jericho kind of shoved it under his, his stuff and he dug a hole and had his tent over it. We like to do that and we think we can make sin disappear. And, and we settle for a cheap form of grace. It says, oh, God loves me. He made me whole. No, no, no. He loves you too much for that. He loves you way too much to let you build your tent over your sin and act like it's not there. That's not what he paid for on a cross. He paid for something, someone that's so beautiful, that's so glorious, that's so incomprehensibly valuable that he would do anything to be in relationship with, right? So there comes a day where we've got to look at it all. And when we look at it all, that's not a fun day. That's a day like that woman where she gets thrown in front of the holy king of kings knowing she just got caught in the act of adultery. And what I deserve right now is those stones beaten into me because that's what I deserve. That's the wages of my actions, of my, my conscious decisions, my powerful decisions. They got me all here, all summed up to nothing. There's nothing but death and self and pride and and. and and manipulation, and lust, and all the gamut of the negativity of this life. But Jesus has already gone to the cross, and what that means is when we get there, we're standing right at the foot of the cross that we know has our name on it, and we look up, 
And instead of having a scourge waiting for us, we see a crucified God with swollen eyes and blood stained pouring down. And you see him look at you with his gaze of love. He says, Father, forgive him. He didn't know what he was doing. Father, forgive her. She didn't know what she was doing. And in that moment, the valley of Achor becomes a door of hope because of the mercy of God. Because of the mercy of God. In that moment, you have a revelation that I didn't do anything. And you loved me enough to get on that cross so that I could have life. In that moment, salvation happens. In that moment, your shame gets conquered by a love that is strong as death. In that moment, pride and, and selfish, they, it, all the chains just break because you knew, you knew this is what I deserve. And yet he's giving me mercy. The door of hope was the wounds of Christ, which manifested as a veil being torn, which meant that we didn't have to be perfect to come into the presence of God. God made us righteous by the cleansing flow, the blood of Jesus. Amen? And because of that, that is our hope. We would rather just God make doors of hope, right? Boom, door of hope. Door of hope. God, give me hope. God, give me hope. I just want hope. Can you just pop open a door of hope at McDonald's tomorrow? Just open up a door of hope for me. Right? We want hope. Everyone wants hope. Hope is found at the cross. He makes, he doesn't just open up doors of hope. He turns the valley of a core into a door of hope. He turns the place of punishment for your sin into a door of hope. He turns the place that was supposed to kill you into a place where resurrection power flows and transforms this life and brings his kingdom. He turns the pit of despair into a place where you dance and celebrate and rejoice. That's, that, that's the only possible thing that could happen. Why, why do we try to just put a tent on top of all this stuff? We know it's there. Why do we hide? Why do we act like the elephant's not in the room? Why do we, why do we try to just kind of wiggle our shame around and act, you know, oh, it looks good on me like this. When I wear this shirt, I can't see it. Right? When I dress like this or stand like that, I, don't, I can't see it. It must not be there. We act, God's like, I see it. You can't hide this stuff. It's ugly and it's not you. It doesn't look good on you. And God wants to give you a revelation of mercy, but you don't find it on the mountaintop. You find it in the valley of Achor. That's the promise of the cross. That is the good news of the gospel is it doesn't matter how ugly it is. If you go there, the only thing you're gonna find is the revelation of the love of God. The only thing you're gonna find is how valuable you are, how worthy you are. You're gonna see him, and he's gonna change it. He's gonna transform it. And those are the people he uses 
people that are broken and contrite and humble in spirit. And those qualities are found at the cross. Amen? That's the mercy of God. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We don't work for it. We don't strive for it. We don't beg for it. We don't fast for it. We do those things to partner with his grace. We don't do those things to earn it. So why? Why does it have to be the Valley of Achor? Because that's the only place that I truly think our performance-minded minds, our religious-minded minds can sit and go, oh my gosh, I didn't do anything for this. Right? The cross. Why did God have to go to the cross? Did he have to pay off the devil? Did he have to, like, there's a lot of theories on this for atonement. I don't have it all figured out, but I will tell you this. At the cross, all the negativity of all mankind summoned to Jesus. All negativity, all death, all sin. All, like, think of the weight of that moment. That is like a cosmic proportions in this moment when all negativity is represented in the beating and the lashing and the scourging and the insults and the mocking and, and the crucifix and the shame and the exposure and the sin. And, you know, he didn't die of the external things. He died because his heart burst. Internal was more painful. Jesus turned that place where all of it got centered on him <laughs> into a door of hope, right? He like, he transformed all of the darkness into a place of triumph. That's crazy. That's crazy. That should be like, oh. So if I'm experiencing darkness, negativity, yada, 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 I need to go there and look at it and receive mercy, right? So it can get transformed in my life. All right, I'm going to transfer. We're going to just follow with me a little bit. If you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We, we have to receive. I believe we all need that moment. I believe it is crucial to a mature walk with God is you have to have your moment at the cross. You don't stay at the cross your whole life, but you are always, we're journeying deeper into that moment, and we're also journeying deeper into a resurrected Jesus who rose from the grave, right? And it's this paradox in this life that we live, we live in tension with the cross, right? We're never going to get away from it. It's not like, oh, I went there and now I'm done. I had a dark night of the soul. I had a couple, actually, that were very painful, and that was real for me. Or I had a moment where I saw myself. I saw, I saw self in me in such clarity that I didn't get out of bed hardly for a week. And it was in that place that he met me with a revelation of love that changed my life. Because I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't deserve this. I was sick. I was physically sick to my stomach how much self-righteous pride I had. Literally, physically, self-righteous, sick. Transform me. I received a revelation. We all need that. It doesn't look the same. It looks different for every single person, but we need that revelation. Switch. We receive that revelation. We have a responsibility then. 2 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read, a, or sorry, chapter, chapter 5. I'm going to read just a handful of verses. It says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh. Yet we now know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So God reconciled to us through the cross, right? We received this forgiveness. We have this moment where it was like God himself on the, you saying, I forgive, I forgive, even in this, so that he could have us, right? You, you, you judge something's worth by what you're willing to pay for it. And we were purchased with the blood of Jesus. So on the cross, we got a living, breathing revelation of how valuable we are to God. And in that moment of forgiveness, we receive value. We receive worth, right? And we, this message of reconciliation, we get reconciled through the mercy of God. And then it's like he flips us around and goes, now I've called you to do the same thing. And now I don't want to just make my appeal through Christ. I want to make my appeal to the world through you. And I've given you this word of reconciliation so that now I'm in you making an appeal to the world saying, please be reconciled to God. Reconciliation comes through forgiveness, comes through the cross, comes through mercy. So he's now entrusted. The stewardship that we have is him who is forgiven much loves much. And what that means is we have to, we have to as Christians be people that are marked by forgiveness and mercy. When somebody wrongs you, it might be the most crucial moment of your life and their life where they can see the love of God. Because in that moment, you get to choose, do I hold on to bitterness? Do I hold on to these things? Or do I now extend and give that very same forgiveness away? Are you following me? This is important. Right? And there's a few things that really keep us, these blocks, roadblocks that keep us from actually giving the forgiveness that we receive. See, it starts with the forgiveness of revelation for ourselves. It then looks like to the world. Right? And there's a couple breakthroughs. There's a couple you know, things that get in the way. One, uh, is there's a couple questions. One is, do I have to be in relationship with someone after I forgive them? I'd say no. Right? Relationship is a two-way street made through trust, made through communication. Boundaries get up when people hurt you. Boundaries are not walls. Walls are uh, no doors. Boundaries have doors that can be navigated through communication. Trust can be restored. That's what relationship's made about. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is, is I'm choosing to extend mercy to you and impute the blood of Jesus and say, it's all, it's okay. I don't want you punished. I want you blessed. You don't have to have relationship, but this is the internal check in my life that I know if I've gotten to a place of forgiveness is when I think about someone that has wronged me and hurt me, do I truly want them blessed? Do I have peace in my heart when I think of them or does this sharp defense come on? Bless them, bless them, Lord, bless them. Bless them with a rock on their head, right? That's not forgiveness. Can you really pray blessing? I, I want them blessed, right? That's an internal sign that you've chosen forgiveness. Second one that I hear people say a lot is, do I have to feel forgiveness to actually forgive someone? Absolutely not. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act made from your will. 
If you make that act from your will, eventually it will get into your emotions, but you do not have to feel a thing. Probably the most difficult moment of my life, I, I, uh, I struggled for probably, I went down to the ocean, I was in college, I was on the cliffs because I knew I had to forgive a number of individuals that I did not want to because they'd done horrible things and I didn't like it. And I sat there for literally hours until I finally just forced myself to verbalize the syllables, I forgive these names, blank, blank, blank. And that's what it started, and, it, and then it kept going. What do you do? Is it, is it, it's your will. It's an act of will. It's not an act of emotion. Um, but we, we have to be people marked by forgiveness because this is, the, this, is, this is the deal. It's the greatest miracle. It's where the healing of God flows. You get to be a living embodiment of that encounter. Somebody may never come to church, but they may wrong you. And that may be just the invitation that God had for you to him to start making his an appeal through you. To love them well. To give them mercy and not judgment. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. This is convicting to me because I have moments in my life and places where I see harshness come out of me. And I don't like it because it's not him. It's my judgment. It's my judgment that is in me. Literally, I'm in this process saying, Lord, that's judgment. That's judgment. And I don't know what to do, but I just need to further journey deeper, right, on my own into this revelation of the cross so that I can understand just how merciful you were to me because we love the world like we've been loved by God. All right, I want to do some ministry time. Um, so worship team, you can come up, but just maybe like play soft. Um, it's easier to kind of focus. But I want to go after a couple things. Um, the first one is bitterness and resentment. This is a killer. This will still kill and destroy your life. And this is something, um, it's so blasphemous to God. It blasphemes the cross when we hold bitterness against someone. Because Jesus is like, didn't you see me? Didn't you see? Like, don't you get what I did, right? Like, I gave everything to forgive you. It's like that parable when it's like the, the, like the millions of dollars is forgiven, and then the dude goes and holds the guy's neck to pay him like 50 bucks. God's like, I, I, I just forgave everything, right? And, and there are some serious grievances that you can have with people. You can be seriously upset with someone, but you cannot be bitter, and you can't be resentful. It, will, it, it kills you. I'm saying this for you. I'm not really saying this for them. Um, and, and if that's something that you say, you know what, I know that. Um, there's people uh, in my life. I want to go there. But before I go there, I want to go first to have you receive the forgiveness of God for you. Because we can't get there until we go there. Um, and if that's something that you say, you know what, um, I need forgiveness in my life. Uh, God knows that already. You say there's things I've been wearing that I don't want to wear anymore. Um, I want to give this and I want to make this a space uh, where you uh, can receive your, a revelation of love and receive the mercy of God. Because I, Paul says, I don't want my message to just be with words of wisdom, but with power and demonstration of the Spirit. Jesus would preach a message and then he would demonstrate it. He would talk about the kingdom and the kingdom will come. And I believe that's a model for ministry. And so I believe that if the message is on mercy, God wants to create a space for you to experience his mercy tonight. Right? Uh, so I just 
I'll just open this up. Um, if you say, I want forgiveness, I actually want you to just stand up. If you say, I need forgiveness, there's a place in my life that I need wholeness. There's something I'm hanging on to. I want you to stand up, and I'm just going to lead us all in a prayer. You say, why stand up? Doesn't that, is that not exposing? No. It's about mercy. It's about mercy, and he stood up for us on a cross. So it's not about shame. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. I want you to just stand. So you can stand right now. I'm just going to lead us in a simple prayer to receiving the forgiveness of Jesus. This is a beautiful moment. This is not a shame moment. Yeah, and if you're not, I just want you to pray right now. If you're sitting, just pray. Um, So I just want us to pray, and I just... just ask right now, Jesus, I thank you that your blood is sufficient. And I just, I just want you to like, what your sins are, I just want you to like, as if you're just, as if you're wearing them like a garment, uh, I just want you to take it off and just hold it and give it to Jesus. And I want, you can, you can speak it, you can tell him whatever you want, you don't need to say it out loud, but I just want you to tell him, Lord, I'm sorry. This isn't about a formula. This isn't about some type of special prayer. This is about a posture of the heart. And I just want you to express your heart to Jesus right now, if you're standing, whatever that means. Lord, I don't want this anymore. God, I don't want to carry this. I'm, I need forgiveness. us all to pray. Say, Jesus, we thank you for your great love on the cross. We thank you that you desire mercy and that your mercy triumphs over judgment. See my heart and forgive me, God, for what I've done. I didn't know what I was doing. And I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And now I want to go that if you have people in your life that you know you need to forgive, um, I want I want you to just, we'll just do the same thing. I want you to just stand up. And I want us to just, I want us to literally forgive them now, but I'm going to give you a forewarning. Many of you, uh, you're going to have to go do something afterwards. I've had times in this where the Lord's convicted me. I've forgiven them. And he said, now go make it right. Right? Now go, go extend peace. There's been times when people have wronged me, and then I've wronged them back. And the Lord says, now I want you to go and forgive and ask for forgiveness and repent for what you did wronging back to how they wronged you. Because that's not, that's not love, right? That's not the cross. So I just want you to just pray. Um, and I just want you... Um, whatever it is, whoever it is, I just whatever you're holding on to, um, I just want you to pray it in your own words. Um, you can just whisper under your breath, but I just want you to say the big things. I just want you to say, Jesus, like I choose to forgive them. I choose to forgive this person.
repent of bitterness. If there's bitterness in your heart, I want you to just, Jesus, I repent of bitterness. I repent of resentment. I repent of how I've let these things have, have, have space to live and reside within this temple of the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, I want to kick these things out and I want nothing but love to remain. And Lord, that's our heart is we want to be vessels of love where nothing but love remains. God, so that when the world hurts us, our natural response is to be merciful because that's who you are, Jesus. Amen. I just want us all to stand and then we're going to sing a song. And I just want us to stand. And I just want you to, if you, if you want it in your heart, I just want you to pray, Lord, make me merciful. Make us merciful like you're merciful. God, make us, say it out, Lord. Lord, make us merciful like you're merciful. God, make us merciful like you're merciful. Lord, give us a revelation of your mercy. Give us a revelation, God, of what you did for us on that tree of Calvary, Lord. Give us a revelation so that it looks like something in the city, God. So that it looks like something at our schools and at our workplaces and in our homes. That it looks like reconciliation. That it looks like forgiveness. That it looks like enemies becoming friends. That it looks like people that are offended falling back in love with each other, God. That it looks like looks like healing, that it looks like what you wanted, that it looks like the bride you paid for on the cross, God. You love us too much to let us stay here. So we ask, God, that you just, you just download from heaven what it means, what the cross means, Lord. And as we journey on as a community, Lord, as we, as we enter into joy, as we enter into resurrection, as we enter into these things that aren't so emotional and heavy, God, I pray that we never lose sight of the cross, God. That every time we see it, that every time we put it on in a necklace, that every time we see it up on Table Rock, God, we remember that that is the fountain from where mercy flows. That that is the place where the great miracle of forgiveness was conceived and birthed and released into this life, God. And may we be people who represent your cross well. God, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, even when we don't want to, may we be people, God, that extend mercy and let it flow without measure, God. Seven times 70, times 70, times 70 again, God. May we forgive those who wrong us so that the world will see the radical love of Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name, amen.